Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. And I'm Nick. Today, we are going to be talking about whether uh, cinema reflects the collective dreams of society and what that means with all these zombie and superhero movies coming out. And we're going to do a full review, a retro review, of Bill Paxton's Frailty on behalf of Willie and Nick, who, who enjoy the movie quite a bit. And then finally, we're going to get some feedback brought to us by our friend Victor, of course. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, if this is your first episode, welcome. I don't know how you found us. Let us know how you did, and I'll do more of that. Uh, you can let us know at feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. You can uh, let us know about the show, what you thought about something that we talk about, or something that you think we should talk about. And uh, while you're at it, go review us on iTunes. Search for Midwest po- Midwest Film Nerds, and uh, it'll come up, and you can review us there. Was that one word, or is that three words? That's three words. I had trouble finding our Twitter the other day, I think. <laughs> the Twitter is at MFN Podcast. No, it was the it was the Instagram tag. I was the Instagram tag. is also at MFN Podcast. Okay. The Vine is Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. The Facebook is Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. So any combination of those words. Yes. Usually it'll come up somewhere, I think. Okay. But anyway, I don't think anybody has a problem finding us. It's, it's like just that nobody knows Nobody's that we're looking. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yet a problem we've had. But anyway, tell us, tell, tell a friend about the show. Thank you, Victor, for telling your friends and tagging us in a status and telling them to check us out. Hopefully, Victor's friends have joined us. But we shall see. Hi, Victor's friends, if you're here. Yes. Um, so, we found, Nick found a, uh, a topic on our true film on Reddit. Uh, the title of which is, If Cinema Reflects the Collective Dreams or Nightmares of Society, What Does the Present Obsession with Zombie and Superhero Films Say About Contemporary contemporary Western Culture? Um, I don't know if you want to flesh that out a little more or not, or if you just, like, it's pretty, it's a straightforward question. Yeah, I think it's a straightforward question with a really multifaceted answer. Totally. Answers. So... And for the life of me, I can't think of a damn one for superhero films. But Willie said he has a good one. Okay. Maybe. I, <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out in this discussion. Yeah. Willie, why, why don't you talk about your thoughts on... Like, basically, uh, I think the article goes through to point out movies like Godzilla for the Japanese. is very much about uh, post-World War II, mm-hmm. you know... In kind response of, to, to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. And, and so kind of things things in our in our past can filter into movies and and large concerns there's a lot of different like red scare kind of movie. like you mm-hmm. saw you Absolutely. saw even like in like plays when uh, the crucible was written it was very much kind of related to the uh the red scare and and all that kind of the the un-American, un-American activities committee that was going on mm-hmm. at the time all that all that kind of stuff so what do zombie movies and superhero movies say about that? If we kind of try to link them back to what, what in our minds is bringing them to the forefront? Well, I mean, certainly there, throwing it right out of the gate, there there is an element of of obviously studios wanting to regurgitate money makers. I mean, let's just get that right out of the way because that's part of it, absolutely. Um, but there's more to it than that. I think that um, zombie movies in general have been are, are an interesting genre because you can take so many different um, ideas and themes and um, like Romero did uh, different aspects and use social commentary and just plug the zombies into that plug that zombie apocalypse setting into that and it works yeah. really well for many different many and that's, different that's something that I think you you have personally talked about before on mm-hmm. the podcast yeah, just yeah. like Romero's kind of it was interesting because he just wrote an article or something talking about how the people at The Walking Dead want him to come direct a few episodes. And he was like, no, because they're not using zombies to do to, 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 to comment on society or anything like that mm-hmm. or, or sure. you know, satire or anything or kind of pull, pull away at social norms and stuff like it's that. It's just a so. zombie apocalypse story, yeah. you know, which is fine. But, no, I think, that, I think <clears throat> with zombies, I mean, you could certainly argue that there's a... A level of the the mass the mass consumerism thing still going on, and we need you know we're we're all zombies as Americans. We all buy the new iPhone and we all go out and see the big blockbuster movie. And there's an element of that, I guess, with zombies that you could you could you could delve into. A million of us bought PlayStation fours on Friday. Exactly. Some there's, of us bought two. There's the mindless zombie consumerist thing Friday, that. Though. 
That's true. <laughs> that was certainly touched upon in Down of the Dead, and I think that's still relevant today. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as superheroes are concerned, that's more what I, I've talked about zombies plenty of times on here, so I don't yeah. want to bore you guys. But um, when it comes to superheroes, I think it's a matter of we... Right now, with, with how nasty everything is in the world in general, I think we're kind of looking for a hero. Does that make sense? We're looking for, for something to lift us up. We're looking for that person to aspire higher and save us all from our, you know, from our own problems that we need to fix ourselves. And I yeah. think that, that there might be something to do with that. I think that there's a, there's a certain... There's a really nice element to superhero films, especially genre ones, about, like, the average Joe that winds up... In most cases, the average Joe that winds up with these extraordinary powers and is able to save the world or save the city or save the girl or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can all aspire to in a certain way. Um, I think that it's certainly, I think that a big part of it is that these movies are just making a lot of money, but I think that that's a big part of it too, is that they, they might be making that money because this is what people want. Yeah. Like, because is... I think, and I think, I think with zombies and with, with superheroes, I know that as a kid, and I'm not trying to say that I was the first person ever to like zombies or superheroes. Cause that's not true. But as a kid, I felt like those are two things that I really, really identified with. And I, I can tell you for a fact that I'm not alone. I mean, I didn't meet a lot of people later until later in life that were also grew up with that stuff. But, um, I think that now a lot of us are just getting older and yeah. we're getting to the age where we have the money to spend on zombie stuff and superhero stuff, and we're willing to. Not to and not to mention there are people making these movies that and were starring in these fans. movies that were fans at the time. So, and so. I, but but I think if you wanted to dig deeper, there's a lot of lot of. I'm, I'm sure that my superhero thought about. You know. Well, and I, I think you're. T I that that's what I was thinking. The first thing that that was when this was said that came to my mind was that line in the Avengers when uh, Coulson's like Coulson says to Steve, "We we spruced up your costume a little bit." Steve was like, "You really think people want the old stars mm -hmm. and stripes?" And then Coulson's like, "When they see what's going to happen, they're going to want a little bit of that." A little old fashioned. I think. I think. I think that. I kind of think that that kind of those ideas connect. That, no, absolutely, I like. and I think. I think it's just nice. I think it's a, it's it's kind of a a weird, you know, almost a beacon of hope to people. Like, hey, you yeah. know, you know, we can we can do good stuff too. So I don't know. Maybe Nick, your thoughts? Your I thoughts? Think, I think that's a a really good point about the superheroes. It's something that I I agree with, and I I think it just didn't come to mind. But I think you're you're absolutely right. I think it's just that we live in such a dark sad world right now we're so oversaturated it's not that it's not that bad news has never existed until 2013 it's just that we're ensconced in it yeah it's just 24 7 the news is just bad shit all the time yeah i mean well in, in, we're in the information you yeah. know age and so like obviously with that we're just going to be yeah. bombarded yeah and nothing but the cream and the shit rises to the top and and a lot of the other stuff is left just lost or forgotten i think that you're you're pretty right about a superhero genre being kind of explosive for that and i think that's part of the reason people love like spider-man for example is because like you said he starts out an average joe he's just an average kid with with regular kid problems and then he gets these incredible gifts and he has and he tries to do good with them despite the temptation to do selfish things with them mm -hmm. i think that's part of the reason that people are receiving cat the character of captain america a lot more than a lot better than people initially thought that they might because <coughs> he's just that guy who really believed in doing something great and uh you know continues to try to do so even with his great power he he wants to do good things yeah and that, he's a great example because i think people have realized that he's more than just like a a flag waver you know what i mean he's not just some sort of big you know patriot he's he, mm -hmm. it's an ideals thing more than it's an actual you know u.s sure. go usa thing mm -hmm. so. i remember exactly. thinking at some point just being like captain america that's dumb like well sure like, the initial thought is he's gonna be some sort of political statement like. yeah and and the interesting thing is that now that i kind of see it like i i'm at a point in my life where um and and much to maybe my parents chagrin and and many other people that i like i feel as though like <laughs> this one's for Tim. I hope Tim is listening to this. But, like, the first scene of the newsroom is Jeff Daniels, like, responding to the question of this girl who's like, uh, why do you think uh, America is the greatest country in the world? And Jeff Daniels is just like, it's not anymore. It's not. And I kind of agree with that statement. 
So when I think of Captain America, like, you think that he's going to be like, oh, USA is the greatest place ever. No, I think Captain America is more of a, this is what you should be as an American, not... He represents he represents the initial ideals that, you know, that came with the country. That, you know, give me your tired, you're poor, and stuff like that. You know, yeah. that's that's the... I don't know. I think that the it's going to be the conversation spinning out of the Winter Soldier is going to be really fascinating because clearly it's pitting old world America against new world America, and I think it's going to be really interesting, and especially to see how critics and the general populace receive it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty interesting to watch. But um, yeah, totally. As far as zombies go, I think uh, zombies has always been a fascination that's kind of risen and fallen over the years, and it always kind of comes back, and it's come back in such a huge way. Mm-hmm. And I think. These days, I attribute, I mean, obviously a lot of it gets attributed to just the machine and people buying into it. And then more people are like, oh, I want an iPhone case with a zombie on it. I want to play a zombie game. I want a zombie journal. I want, you know, zombie, zombie swag. Hashtag zombie swag. And, uh, <laughs> hashtag MFN zombie swag. <laughs> and it's, I think on a deep, on a, on an unconscious kind of primitive primal level, we all kind of yearn for it's not even about zombies so much anymore because the zombie movies aren't even really zombie movies. They're apocalypse movies that feature zombies. And there's tons of apocalypse movies, especially with, with actual 2012 happening and, and that whole wave of apocalypse movies. And I think they were making them because people fear it and it's in the back of your mind and it's, it's on an unconscious level. And <clears throat> like when you watch World War Z, it's not even so much a zombie movie. It's just an apocalypse movie. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people deep down inside kind of yearn for that simpler world where you just get together with a with a hopefully tight-knit crew of people and you work together and you use teamwork and you use the skills that founded this country and that founded civilization you get to you get in touch with those again and and you kind of rebuild a, a hopefully better world than the one that lived before because i think that everyone's anticipating eventually the world imploding on itself it's just too big it's too stupid it's too loud and too starving and so that i think on an unconscious level we kind of want the the fighting chance like these, like the protagonists in these movies who are kind of equipped in a way to handle this scenario, we kind of all want that fighting chance to face the apocalypse and and kind of weather it. But you look like you have something to say about that. No, movie. like that's that that was totally like that was the that was what came to my mind. I was like, it's it's about it's about apocalyptic things, and I think I just like you like I'll just parrot everything that you said because that's t- that you took all the words out of my brain yes. and spewed them forth. I think you no, said, it's okay. What did Nick Nick? You said something earlier about there kind of being two types of zombie movies now. Though you've got your traditional kind of uh, small well, the, group of people surviving, and they're kind of the slow moving things. But then you get Twenty Days Later is kind of a different beast, and I think that's more of a fear of of well, with the zombie movies, there's know, not even biological, but we also like getting back to really quickly what I was saying about the apocalypse and the the simplicity of that world. It's just you wake up, you survive, you go to sleep. And we live in such a heavy, bearing down, depressing, busy, frantic, crazy world that I think is part of the reason people want that. And Mm -hmm. we live in such a world that's afraid of infection on every front. Like, people are worried about their computers getting infected, their data being stolen, their identities being stolen, the whole NSA scare going on right now. Um, Getting sick. (laughs) Yeah, even getting getting sick and there's new diseases flying around. Getting Getting infiltrated. Yeah, cancer. Getting the country getting infiltrated. Like, uh by you know terrorists or sleeper cells Scrolls. that kind of thing being killed yeah <laughs> being being killed from from within by something i think that zombies just on a on an obviously a simple kind of biological level represent that fear i don't think anybody yeah. fears anything worse than you know being strangled from within your familiar safe boundaries mm-hmm. i think that is absolutely a huge part of it and that's why if there was a really 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 scary shambling slow zombie movie that was purely based on infection um it would be i think people would probably enjoy it because unconsciously we're really really afraid of that stuff yeah Mm -hmm. and i'll bet you i mean i'm sure it's been done a million times where people have gone back through the decades and and traced popular horror movies and that they were just mirroring what what the other fears of the time were i mean like the fly Mm -hmm. and uh the thing kind of about aids and the same kind of thing we're talking about cancer those kind of diseases that attack and destroy your Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah, it, I mean, it's. I think that the two genres that um, reflect 
what's going on in society at that time are, are comedies and, and, and horror movies. I think th- there's a... I think those two are probably the biggest examples. I mean, I think that you always are going to have your, your big budget action movies in some form or another, whether it be a sci-fi movie or a, you know, a more straightforward you know, cops and robbers type deal. But I think that those two genres in particular, if you, if you do look back and trace the history of what were comedies like back in the 70s as opposed to now, how have we changed as... It's, well, it's very much that that is... They're inherently kind of made of the time. Because a horror movie is not going to be effective if the people there that, at that time are not scared by it. And the horror, or, yeah. and the comedy movies, people aren't going to laugh unless it appeals to what they think is exactly. funny. Exactly. So those two genres are always relevant. It's interesting. They're always they're, indicative they're like, of that. They're like the rings on the tree of society. For, mm-hmm. And it's amazing cool. watching a movie from either domestic, like a U.S. comedy or horror movie that appeals to an overseas market or vice versa, a foreign comedy or horror movie that, that deals with the really universal things that... Like I remember seeing movies before that were that were foreign, like comedies and horror movies, and watching them and not obviously being being able to understand, but being able to read, but just being scared or or really amused on a really fundamental level that it kind of reminds you that we're all humans at the end of the day. Well, and look at like Shaun of the Dead compared to like Zombieland. Like that's a yeah. very cool comparison because like if you look at Shaun of the Dead, it, there's it's so very British yeah. and it's and it's <laughs> everything. And then you look at Zombieland, it's so very America and it's everything. Mm-hmm. It's like this perfect. I love both those movies, but it's kind of cool to see how zomcoms were done you know <laughs> i just i really like the the notion that in order for humans to deal with something we're afraid of we we take it and put a we have to externalize it in a way and put it up on this like pedestal that we can all look at and view and kind of cope with it's weird how we have that's to, how we deal with it we have yeah. to make a movie and have a good guy come in with a gun and kill the thing we're afraid of <laughs> yeah. for us to go okay it's okay cancer's not that bad we're gonna be all right it's not, yeah exactly it's interesting and interesting even more when the movies end you know on a depressing note we know i guess i don't really want to name any for fear of spoilers but movies that don't have a happy ending and yet people it's interesting to see when people are gonna look at ending is stupid i can think of one right now that's just such a good example, and uh, it just didn't end the way people wanted it to. And I love the ending, and we'll talk about it later, Willie, because yeah. I know you'll you'll go, oh yeah. <laughs> and Alex, I'm sure hasn't seen it, so we'll have to leave him out of it. Hashtag right. Rock punches cancer. Uh, if anybody checks out the uh, <laughs> trend that. swag, make it trend. Uh, if anybody checks out the topic though on Reddit, if any uh, if anybody goes and sees, there's a there's a really cool comment that I read on there though that really breaks down uh, Children of Men specifically. And why people enjoy that so much, and it goes it goes into modern people's thoughts and feelings on children themselves. Why the the children are the crux of the movie, and it was so so well we could done. Probably post a link to that, right? And I can't. Yeah, I'll link to it in the. I can't show possibly re- reiterate it and do it justice, or try to take credit for it. It was so good. Go to midwestfilmnerds.com, Look at the show notes. I'll link you to it. Cool. All right, it's time for our full review of Bill Paxton's Frailty. This movie's from two thousand one. Uh, also starring Bill Paxton and uh, Matthew Mount, Mount McConaughey, as he's known here on the MFN podcast, Powers Booth, uh, and uh, a few other people. Jeremy yeah. Sumter. Yeah. Uh, Friday Night Lights fan. Hey, GJD. Anyway. Um, synopsis from IMDb says, A man confesses to an FBI agent his family story of how his religious fanatic father's visions lead to a series of murders to destroy supposed demons. Pretty effective uh, synopsis. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's good. Um, this is this movie is something that's pretty close to both of your guys' heart. Something that uh, it, you said last night, Willie, was one of the things that you guys bonded over. Yeah, yeah. When Nick started at the video <clears throat> store, I think it was like our first shift working together, and God, somehow frailty. We were talking about movies in general, and like I don't know if he brought it up or I brought it up. Somebody, one of us, brought up frailty, and then. The other person was like, "Oh my god, you know frailty?" And then we just talked about frailty. It was funny. It's not a movie that like a lot of people talk about. No. Or, you know, even now, like with McConaughey's obviously like his rise to fame, yeah. yeah, and it's it's been twelve twelve years. The summit of McConaughey's career, yes, Mount McConaughey peaking. Yeah, it's twelve years old now, but and it's still one of those movies. that's kind of a, a hidden gem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it definitely flew under the radar when it came out, and it still is. So yeah, it was it was kind of kind of funny. I'm like. Man, frailty was that because I was I was thinking of movies we could do for retro review, and then it pumped in my head. I'm like, I think that was like the movie that me and Nick first talked about before any other movie. Weirdly enough, so, it was yeah. an early one. Yep, that or Rocky Four <laughs> or Turtles. Yeah, that too. Turtles or Masters of the Universe. Yeah. One Mortal Kombat. 
this one sticks out amongst. We it. could go on. Choose the one that doesn't. This one's belong. serious. Choose well, the one that's different. Yeah. This. Well, this is one that. Um, <laughs> like I could talk to you guys about Turtles of Mortal Kombat or anything like that, but this is one that's kind of, as you said, it's a hidden gem. Like why? Like somehow your guys' interests had intersected mm-hmm. into this movie yeah. that isn't quite as prevalent in our generation. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> um. So I want to I want to get your guys' thoughts first, as usual. But uh, I, I want to preface this with saying I did not leave this movie loving it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was bad. But I'm very interested in what you guys find so interesting about it. Sure. And that, that's not that I didn't find things interesting, and I'll get to that. But so, so Willie, what what were your thoughts on Frailty? Um, without you know, without getting into any sort of spoilers or anything, I yeah, we will have a spoiler Terry for this. Spoiler Terry. <laughs> Um, because most people haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I initially was drawn to this because I, I like, um, I like, I, I was, I've always liked Paxton. I wasn't a Paxton super fan at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't running Paxton conventions yet. I will be soon. Um, Pax Prime. But, uh, Pax. Pax Prime. Paxton Prime. <laughs> now, I, um, I, I don't know, there's something about this movie that I, I think at the time when I had seen it, it was, uh, I had, uh, I rented it, it was like a... You know, some like a fifty cent rental or something. Yeah, I was like, yeah it looks like it's interesting. You know, I was running horror movies and stuff because I love those, and I watched it. and I was just like, this is a very cool, unique psychological thriller. It didn't, it wasn't quite like any other one I had ever seen. Um, you know, it's part murder mystery kind of, and then it's part, it's part horror film. It's it's a little, it's got a little bit of everything in it. And I, I don't know. I just I always appreciate this movie. It's got a very cool gothic look to it. I love the, uh, you know, it's it hasn't. To be fair, it hasn't aged terribly well as far as from a from a visual standpoint. We watched it on a DVD, so I'm not sure how much that had to do with it. But it it's certainly a, an independent film from the early 2000s. It yeah. definitely you know feels like that. But it's a cool looking movie. It's 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 incredibly well acted, in, especially by the uh, the younger kids cast. They do a really really good job. Um, and I just I, I you know Paxton's. It was so impressive to me that Paxton had directed this and that and that this was his first you know venture into that and. Just I don't know. I, I love the plot. I love the twists. Uh, it's just a great. I don't know. I, I've always enjoyed this movie, and I, I it reminds me of like a good, an early M Night Shyamalan type film. Okay. Um, back when he was, you know, during the the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs period, and I I loved all three of those movies. So this was a nice kind of kind of added to that, and then having Paxton just made it even cooler. So all right. Paxton is my Mel Gibson. All right. I don't know. No, Paxton's better than Mel Paxton. <laughs> but, yeah. Paxton is your Keanu Reeves. Oh, yes. Although, Paxton's much... You don't have to be an apologist to be a fan of Paxton. I know. If anybody <clears throat> ever apologizes to me for being a fan of Paxton, I will kill them. <laughs> I'll I, I'm, in the face. I, I don't apologize for being a fan of Keanu Reeves. No, you never should. Other people do. All right, Nick. How did you feel about Frailty? <clears throat> I have no recollection of how I first saw Frailty, actually. It's kind of weird. Um, I really, really can't recall how, how I stumbled <laughs> it upon it. It was a nightmare movie. of yours. Um, yeah, I woke you up, dreamt it. Like Paxton, and I was like, beam of light, <laughs> shine down, down on the video store, <laughs> through the window, right onto that spot on the shelf. <laughs> no, I really like it. Um, <clears throat> I like the kind of weird, cheap, low-budge TV movie look it has. It, I think it, there's something about it that gives the movie a cool kind of throwback lived in like feel especially considering when when the flashbacks take place and mm-hmm. there's just something about it that that i dig on some other movies i'm sure i would just shit all over it but something about it in that movie the way it's used doesn't bother me it doesn't it, it blends doesn't well with the plot cheap. yeah yeah absolutely because considering most of the movie is is flashback um i just think it's it's really well acted i think everybody in it's pretty good uh it doesn't waste time on stuff. There's a lot of use of of montage and uh, voiceover, and not in the bad voice. Like voiceover is a very fine line. I know I've yeah. said that before in the podcast, and mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I will say it again. There's a very, very, very thin line between good voiceover and just utter wretched voice. Is it a thin red line? I don't know what color it is. <laughs> I'm gonna say fuchsia, chartreuse, <laughs> taupe. Um. <laughs> But I think it's done well in this movie. I think McConaughey does a, a good job with voiceover, um, and I think it's done well. There's just, there's just it's well directed. I'm, I'm impressed by how Paxton manages to his feature length 
debut mm-hmm. as a director. One thing too, like, I, like a quick, uh, there's like a moment where a scene ends and Powers Booth's in the voiceover asking McConaughey a question, and there's just one shot in a car that just pans. Like right to left over McConaughey's face, and he re-ups the voiceover for the, and it's just the perfect transition. And I'm like, just smart choices like that, just keep the movie going. You never feel bored, really. You don't want to check your watch. You know, you're not wondering like when this movie's gonna wrap up, which I think is important for a thriller or a horror movie. It just moves yeah. nicely. One thing too that I find funny is that you and I <laughs> both have younger brothers, and are are pretty darn close to our dads so I, I think you know like not that you have brothers too and you're close to your dad yeah sure, it's but, a different situation but you know what I'm saying though like like uh, there, for me I know that that was something too that was kind of like it, it pulled me in more because I'm like god can I imagine what it would be like if my dad started like saying that there were demons around like oh you, sure your dad yeah. to a certain extent is your hero growing up you know what I mean like you idolize your dad so like it's interesting to see how you know, the younger son reacts to that and the older son reacts to that. I don't know. Yeah, you the two boys are divided by that line between mm-hmm. one's young enough to still take everything the dad says as gospel. And one's and a little bit more. getting to that age where you start to kind of question things. You get a little bit of rebellion in you. Yeah, it's very – so I think that, that it hit that mark for me too. Just as an added, you know, mm-hmm. bonus, it definitely – like I put myself in the kid's shoes like, oh, my God, can you imagine your dad walking in and saying, hey, this is what's going on? Let me get my axe. You know, I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, I, I could, I'd be horrified. You know, so. It's it's just a movie that doesn't really pull punches. It doesn't gross you out. It doesn't go out of its way to make you feel uncomfortable. It lets the material do that for you. It doesn't throw ugliness in your face or, or hide it from you. It or throw crap out. on the floor that comes through on your podcast recording. Yeah. yeah. People dropping <laughs> rolled nickels and stuff. <laughs> no, I think it's... Uh, I just like the mood of it. Like I said, when it was over, I've seen it before. I've seen this movie numerous times. And when it was over, I didn't want to go into my basement and get my laundry out of the, out of the washer. I like yeah. ran. Very, very unnerving movie. And it takes a lot, I think, too, for for me, and I'm, I'm sure you agree, that to, like, it takes a lot for a movie to make me feel like uncomfortable afterwards. Like, Especially when you've seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like like looking over my shoulder like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. I just feel like this could have that could happen. Like I think that's part could... of the reason it is so cool for me too. Is that it has happened? They said it was loosely yeah, it's, based it's on loosely a killer. Based on actual, it sounds yeah. like a lot of serial killery type of yeah. things, and it's the perfect kind of serial killer where you can't. Nobody can prove or disprove what he's saying. Technically, yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I um, it's interesting because a lot of the 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 like the ideas that we were just talking about of of somebody kind of snapping and and they're like growing this different connection to religion that's very interesting to me and 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 terrifying and uh and i don't feel as though i i don't know it's weird i feel like i didn't get enough of that from the movie like it didn't it obviously it doesn't focus on that it focuses on telling a story it's 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 certainly not out there to make this position to say religion is a weapon that some people use, which I think is a good thing ultimately. Absolutely, because <clears throat> you know that's that's a stupid statement to make, kind of, and a movie isn't the best thing to do it with. But it does a good job of staying the course with yeah. what it intends. Yeah, I don't, it, I don't walk out of this movie thinking people who believe in God are all nuts. Yeah, it's not, it's not thing. overly heavy-handed with that. Yeah, I mean, it's an important part of the movie. But. Yeah, um, but. At the same time, you said you said it does keep moving, but the movie does feel very methodical. It is very uh, measured with its approach, which I think is good. But it also it made it feel like a longer hour and forty to me. But that's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that I noticed personally. The issues that I have, I don't really want to talk about in non-spoilerary. Okay, but it's um, hard to not spoil spoilerize this movie. Yeah, yeah this is not one you want to spoil either. I think. Uh, yeah. And uh, but but a few of the things that I can kind of get to. I don't know how I feel about some of these points that I put, but I think it's interesting. I feel like Paxton and his character feel like a bit of a fable. Like the way that he, the the things that he says and the way that he says them, the way he portrays the father, feels very much like somebody something you would read in like a translation of the Bible of like the things that he that he is saying. I, and I don't have like specific. Uh, instances, but just the way <clears throat> it, it's weird to me because he feels very, he feels like he's on a different plane from the other actors in the movie, which could very well be by design. And yeah, I and think if it's, if it's by design, it's pretty genius because well, I don't want to get too much into it, but 
But I, to, when, to, I don't think it's as well, hard to say that most of the time when you see Paxton, the majority of the movie, it's 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 through the story that Matthew McConaughey's character is telling. Exactly. And, and, and Matthew McConaughey being his son has a certain vision of his father, I'm sure, that might, if it is by design, it's very smart, I think. It's, it's, it's interesting, and it's, it's interesting that it even came out that way in the end, even if that's not how they intended it. It's a very it. interesting observation. Um, there are, yeah, there are lenses in front of lenses in front of lenses in this movie, like layers upon layers of how the story's being told, who it's being told by. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing you can really take at face value. Yeah. And so that's why, like, I put these thoughts down, and I'm like, I don't necessarily know if I feel it's good really or bad about It's really good when you watch these. it again, on a second that's, viewing. Th- as I was sitting here putting all these down, I was like, I feel like I wish I could have watched this a second time to kind of go back with the information that I have and yep. see how well it's laid out. Willie and I kept glancing at each other during the movie. Because <laughs> <like, laughs> we already knew it was yeah, coming. Exactly. Um, the almighty second viewing, let us take a moment to recognize the power of the holy second viewing. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much else I want to say without going into spoilers. That's fair enough. So, any 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 minor gripes or nitpicks? I mean, as far as I know, you you were a little little thrown off, I think, by the the look of it. Just it's, the well, it, and it wasn't an issue. It was just uh, like I said, I was <laughs> for some reason I was comparing it to Mystery Men because that was the only movie I could think of that came out around the same time. And I was like, Mystery Men feel like just from the 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 image, it just feels newer. Sure. Yeah. And and so and as we kind of discussed, like maybe this movie was aiming for lower, maybe it's the lower budget that ended up contributing mm-hmm. to that. So it's you know that it, it was it didn't necessarily bother me, but it wasn't you know. I think a lot of it's by design. Yeah, I, I think I this is this is I think one of the reasons as well why why I like this movie so much is that I kind of group it with other movies that I I rented or normally I, it was it would be something I rented that I. I happened to be in this video store, and I was like, had no idea of what I was in there looking for. And I happened to grab it and watched it, expecting literally nothing, and then just was like, "Oh my gosh, I really like that." Yeah, and you know, and, uh, uh, Groomsman was another one. Uh, definitely, maybe we've talked about a couple of these before. Yeah, you know, where I where it was just ne- you're, you're you're low to no expectations at all. Kind of allows it allows yep. the movie yep. to to you know yeah. rise above. Like you 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 kind of view it without that lens of. What other people have thought about, and some of those movies have become my favorite movies. You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. Just because, like, I think I think it's an even more rewarding feeling when you accidentally stumble upon something that you wind up really enjoying. Yeah, yeah. Then as as opposed to like going Acc- in saying accidentally, as opposed to <laughs> going in and saying I'm going to love this thing, or you know, I'm yeah. probably going to like this. It's it's interesting because it kind of it sets you up. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts can kind of set you up for failure, or sometimes. Oh, totally. You know, you can. It, it's it's similar for movies that you think are going to be bad, and they end up just blowing you away. Like yeah, that's... totally. This is a great one too to never see a trailer for. I've yeah. never seen a trailer for this movie. Yeah, I don't no. know what it would be like. I I knew absolutely nothing about this movie, but which is cool. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. So, kind of, you know, now that we've said a bunch about it, try to go into the movie without thinking about anything we've just said if you haven't <laughs> seen it yet. But uh, I think we are going to take a quick break, and then we are going to go right into Spoiler Terry for Frailty. Alright, we are in spoiler Terry for Bill Paxton's frailty. Brought to you by Bill Paxton. Making yes. scenes, scenes of Paxton. <laughs> brought to you by Michael Bean. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to just put all my thoughts out there. I personally felt like some of the twists in this movie were not earned. Okay. Um, and and particularly, I feel like Powers Booth is a little underutilized, and, and, and you... Uh, the idea that he was the one who killed his mother, it means, it's meaningless to me, because I didn't give a shit about Powers Booth, and I didn't, like, and, the, and there was nothing in the movie to really me, make me think that he was the one that did it, mm-hmm. except for the fact that you go to that conversation that they have in the car, and then he, he's like, oh, you want, and you, you're good at this, you ever thought about being a cop? There's nothing there that makes me 
shocked at the fact that he's the one that killed his mo- killed his mother. There's nothing there that makes me question who killed his mother. There's like there's no connection to that story mm-hmm. to make that twist interesting. The only reason that the twist is interesting is that it turns out that he's one of the people who who Adam comes to kill. Yeah, and I think that that's... I mean, I, I would agree with you. I, I, the, the Powers Booth mom twist isn't exactly by itself a very... Yeah. A very, a very exciting thing to see. But I think at that point, like, you really are hit by a few twists almost right in a row. There. Oh, yeah. And I think that that one kind of gets pushed down because of that. Um, and they don't, they don't do a huge development. But I, I think it's purely, it's purely there to say, okay, he's, the reason why he came here is to, you know, yeah. get Powers Booth. Okay. So moving past that. I have something to say. Do you, okay, <laughs> I, I do. I do. I want to get to the to the the. Uh, well, that's something different, and that's kind of different. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Um, in regards to Powers Booth, I think that the twist that twist is not even. You're not necessarily supposed supposed it's not to supposed be, to be a twist. The, yeah. the bigger twist is that it's Adam. Well, yeah, that, that too. But I think that. The reason the Powers Booth thing isn't played up more and you're not wondering, well, who did his kill his mom? I think it kind of goes along with the notion of are these these people are wolves in sheep's clothing or they're normal they're posing as normal people. Powers Booth never seems suspicious and never seems shady because he's done a perfectly good job of concealing who he really is. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that, though, because he's like there's not enough time for you to even see that he's attempting to do like it. I don't know. It's. I just think that's the point, is that him, along with all the other demons that Adam's been killing, are people who are hiding in plain sight. They're, they have done a good job of concealing who they are from everybody else, so it takes somebody appointed by God to go and find them and make them pay for that. That's their... why he is so low-key. Okay. Yeah, because the movie just basically says, here's a man whose mother was murdered, and he says they never caught the killer, and he's like, no, so he became a cop. Well, yeah. of course it's not. And he's... like, that's a perfectly good backstory for why this man became a cop, because his mother was murdered, and, and he... And that, yeah, that, that's something that I wanted to talk it lets about you, I think bit. it lets you buy into the character a little bit, and then you're, you're never, you're not spending the movie guessing who killed his mom. And no, and, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that that's what I want, but I think, uh, I think something more effective to me would have been if that if his sin kind of more pertained to what we know about him. And yeah, we knew that his mom died, but I wish that the maybe the sin should have had something to do with a case that he worked on or something like something that. Something to do with like his, his role as an FBI. Yeah, okay. because okay. You, you see him as this FBI agent, and then halfway through the movie, it's like, oh, my mom died. Okay, thanks. We'll refer to that later. Like, it's, I don't... No, they say that right at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, it's a picture. Yeah, because right he's looking at the, the picture. Desk, right? Okay, yeah. but it's still, it, like, I don't know. It just doesn't... I would have preferred that 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 sin to be used differently, I guess. Okay. But on the topic of the sins, um, does the fact that that at the end of the movie we see the this, the scenes of Paxton putting his hand on the person and him actually seeing the sins, does that what does that say to us? Like, why am I am I supposed to like? The, like this is this is the plot of Dexter. This is a dude going to kill people who have sinned in some way, and we see Dexter as this. We root for Dexter a lot of the time. Should we be, like? Shouldn't should we be rooting for Adam and and his father and like what? Like I don't. It's it's a weird message to kind of walk away with, and it's interesting. It's not this isn't necessarily a problem, but it's like I I don't know. What did you guys get out of that? Like, how do you, how do you? The, I mean, I mean, it's it's certainly obvious that by the end of the movie, there's there's no doubt that the stuff that's going on as far as like being God's hands is it, it's legit. Like, at least some sort of force has come to Bill Paxton and has worked his way through Bill Paxton. You know, we know that there's some sort of supernatural element for sure. I mean, the videotape is getting all staticky. Like, you can't explain that by saying Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, nobody can remember his face. There, there's a reason for that. And um, it's cool because movies usually play it a little more, a little vague. more straight, or a little more vague. Yeah, they don't, they don't say, they don't say it's this is what's going on. Yeah, and I and think this if movie they... is firm, like here's what happens. <laughs> yep, accept it or don't accept it. It's it's just like religion it's, almost. Yeah, so it's, you either accept it or you don't. It's very interesting. And then like the as far as the the flashbacks that you see. Where this through uh, Jeremy Sumter's eyes, where you see that Jeremy Sumter did indeed see yeah. the truth. 
I think that that is another thing that, that warrants a rewatch because when you watch the movie again and you kind of watch the development of Sumter as a kid, you can see more why he started to go. Cause well, no, yeah, like even even when they play through it again, when you when you see the the visions actually coming through, and you kind of see him responding him, to that, him responding to these these killings more so than than uh, than Fenton. Fenton, who looks away and and cannot. Well, I think I think they they insinuate at one point, or they actually they outright say Matthew McConaughey outright says says that at some point over the course of this journey they were going on, Fenton's name popped up on a list. As a demon, which is exactly why he couldn't see any of this stuff to begin with. Yeah. He was never one of the chosen. Well, no, like that, that. Like Paxton, Paxton talks about getting visited by the angel again, and he says the angel told me something, but I don't. I want to prove mm-hmm. him wrong or something like that. And yeah. I like that is very clearly me being like, oh, well, the sun is a, is one it's of the, clearly on the, the list. demons. Yeah, yeah. It, it what's what's what is interesting to me, I think, and one of I guess I could call it a gripe about this movie, but I, I don't. I don't see it. I don't know. I don't see this gripe. Is the the Fenton character because the character that you're technically being told the story by winds up not being Fenton? I would I would like to know more about why where Fenton went. You know what I mean after after it all went down because you don't you, you feel like you're you're relating to the Fenton character as a child through so much of the movie that you almost want to know what. T- I mean, obviously he went through some horrible stuff as a kid. But I can understand why Adam became the way he did. Yeah. I can't quite understand exactly what happened, like wh- where Fenton decided that he was, or where he went insane. Um, I don't know if it was down in the hole, you know, so that that would be cool to see is you know, what I, took I, Fenton down the path that he was collecting bodies as trophies, you know, like I think, well, some of that, I mean, he killed his father and he well, sure, and that would mess you up. these crazy things as a kid. But you almost wonder, does he think he's still hunting demons? Is there, is there an element of him that thinks that he's still doing his dad's work or is he rebelling against his dad by killing innocent people? Is it, you know what I'm saying? Is it a thing because he hates God so much now that he's just decided he's going to start offing people and despite his father, I mean, you know, like. It's, he's waging like to, his war against God, so he's capturing children. Yeah, right. I, I'd like to. I'd like to know. It'd be interesting to see what the motivations of that character are. For not that somebody can't just go nuts because of the horrible things that happen to him, but he seems so level-headed even after he kills his dad mm-hmm. that you got to wonder where's the, if there's a motive there for what he's doing. Frailty to the streets. <laughs> I guess it would be kind of cool if there had been a little line or an allusion to being like, oh, we found all these people he killed in his basement, and they were all, like, priests or... And that, that would be very cool, because it would, it would give me an idea of what what made Fenton... I kind of dig that the movie doesn't really get into a lot of the details, though. Like, you never, well, you never you find out... You dig it? You never find out where the axe came from. There's a lot of backstory. There's a lot you of never things. axe that question. You don't know what the Otis on it means. You don't right. know... There's a lot of things in the movie that they don't—they just don't answer, and it's fun to speculate. Sure. Like the title never is directly referred to in the movie. Um, and I think that's what I'm saying too. Is like I, I can't even really call this a gripe. I just—it's something that I've always. Every time I watch it, I'm like, man, what happened to Fenton? Like, yeah. Like you don't even where know did, where did his life take him. You know, when, when they come down into the hole on that, like after the weeks or whatever, and Fenton says, "I saw God." You don't even know if he actually did, and God actually said, "Kill, kill your, your dad." dad. Or if he just said that as a ploy to get him out of the hole, and then he's like, "I'm going to regain my strength, and I'm going to kill Dad before he does." It you anymore. never, yeah, you never. Tried. Yeah, and well, and my whole reading on the thing is that it's like his as as he's down there, he thinks the only way I'm going to get out of this is if I do this, and the only way that I can end this and possibly save my brother is to kill our father, and the only way I can get close enough to that is have him believe that I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could even go as far as to say Fenton saw the devil down there if you really <laughs> wanted to get weird and dig around and like, I mean. I think there are plenty of, of implication or, or plenty of, of moments in the Bible where you know the devil comes to somebody and pretends to be God or pretends to be an angel yeah. and and tricks them and so who knows I mean there's so many different yeah it's I just think it's really awesome how the movie takes a side and it's like no here's here's what happened there's a guy out there that has superpowers <laughs> like, yeah, basically <laughs> as long as you are innocent you know you'll be okay but then. Apparently nobody plans on being a sinner, but they are. And what 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 determines that you? Yeah, he's essentially acts. Frank Castle for God. Mm-hmm. Like he is. Like he's he's, an, he's. And it's cool how even you know as a kid, Fenton was a demon, but he hadn't become a demon yet. And it, like like Adam said, he knew I would be back. I just had to wait until he was on my list, and then God finally tells him. Fenton Meeks, and it's when he goes to his house and find out his brother has turned into a bona fide serial killer. He's got six bodies in the basement. He's the God's hand killer, which there's probably a whole subplot there of 
like where did the term God's hand come from? Because his dad even said, we're, the angel said, we're God's hands. Clearly his brother was like leaving suit, like notes, like I'm the God's hand killer. He did say something about that, didn't he? That there were notes Yeah, because at, at the very beginning mm-hmm. he was like, you're, you're the, in charge of the God's hand case. And it, it's just interesting how God kind of gave him a twofer. Like, here you go. <laughs> like these two are, are related. And uh, it's just cool. It's a, it seems like such a straightforward plot, especially from the IMDb synopsis, but there's all these little threads and branches. I, I, I knew that I would like it more as we actually talked about it. Yeah. But it's it's still like it, it on, on first glance, and I think I think it, if with the second viewing, I probably would have gotten a lot more out of it's it. It's just too. it's interesting because it again, there's a lot of wacko religious people in in the real world who will say seemingly crazy things like this, and they are church. so yeah, they are so convinced that they are right. And when you're watching this, when you're watching Frailty, you're you are so convinced that Bill Paxton is a psycho. And that his older son is the voice of reason. He's kind of your cipher through the movie. And but by the end, the movie's like, no, he he was on the level. He was right. <laughs> yeah. And you're and then you feel kind of bad and weird, and you're like, oh god. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you watch it, knowing that Bill Paxton is legitimate in his like a, pursuit of hunting demons, you're, you're like you're like, oh my god, he really saw. The archangel, you know, Michael or whoever, fly down from a freaking muffler. And, <laughs> like, what? Yeah, and he was yeah. guided to that barn, and then the the gloves were these holy lawn mowing gloves were protecting him. Mm-hmm. From, yeah, and he could just drive to these people's houses, and he maybe knew where they it's lived the right and, name. And yeah. it's and just like he said, we were we were protected. And the movie does an interesting job of leaving those breadcrumbs, but you still don't believe it until it punches you in the face because yeah. he's like, Dad said he'd never been there before. I mean, they live in in Texas. Is that where they... Yes. Yeah, it's in Texas. Yeah, they're in Texas. Remember, and, um, Chris Powers Booth is from Texas, and so is Bill Paxton, and so on and so forth. We yeah, meet. Meet Texas. Meet Texas. Um, and it's <laughs> so interesting, weird. they drive to, to cities. He's, he says dad had said he'd never been there before. He didn't know how to get there. He just drove, and God took him there. And the movie lays that out for you. Yeah. And you're like, well, the dad could be lying. He probably map-quested it or something, even though it was 1979. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's just cool. When you watch it again, if you watch it again... You'll be, I think you'll have a pretty fun time watching it and kind of seeing all the. Yeah, all that's the that's why that's why out. I like these kinds of movies. Being on the joke, yeah, yeah, almost exactly. It's one of my favorite things about Fight Club. It's going through and seeing all the moments of after you know, sure. yeah. yeah. Like there's so many so many times after seeing that movie that I sit down and find something new that implies the twist behind Fight Club that some people may and, or may not know. And Frailty is a uh, <clears throat> it's a fun movie to rewatch. I had a. I had a good time rewatching it. They could make a sequel to it. That's what's interesting. Con- conceivably, the studio could be like, "Hey, Matt McConaughey, hey, the Midwest Fighters podcast is really <laughs> interested." I would not be particularly opposed to seeing maybe a, a, another detective kind of catching on, but I guess you couldn't unless he was appointed by the devil to stop God's killer. And even then, the detective... See what we can bring in here? Okay, here it is. Constantine is here's, not coming here's, into this equation. Oh, 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 you don't know. The, um, <laughs> I do know. I just I it. have... Divine Providence has shown upon me that this is going to be... The, the detective who's going to find out is Jake Gyllenhaal from Prisoners. And it's not only going to bring, bring pris, prisoners into this, this universe, but Constantine is, of course, the man riding the line between the middle that knows that God has, has selected <laughs> the Meeks and that the devil has selected Jake Gyllenhaal's character from the from, from prisoners. Loki. Yes, director, Detective Loki. And what's interesting is you could have a good guy doing what he thinks is right, but he's actually doing the devil's work in stopping... Nick's like, that's it, sequel. Want it. Want modern, modern McConaughey. This is all part of DC's universe that they're building with, uh, with Guillermo Dark. del Toro. And it, it would actually be cool to see McConaughey... Um, now, after he's done all this work and stuff, go back to something like this that's a little smaller and a little more... He's got uh, a little pack of religious zealot boys that are running around with swords. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. I like would Batman Inc. Back in meat. Back in meat. <laughs> Let's go back to meat. And Constantine oh, is involved boy. in the Battle of Meat. You know? The Great Battle of Meat. Get that Constantine sequel I'm never gonna get. Oh my goodness. Francis Lawrence and Bill Paxton team up. Oh! Correct. <laughs> So, Co direct. What else do we got, Alex? Anything else that you wanted to? Talk um, about? Swamp Thing is also in it, just because. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have. Anything. I, I think you should rewatch it sometime. No, I. I Maybe I, even I sooner will. rather than later. I will. While but it's relatively fresh. Like I, I almost wish that I could have watched it again 
before recording the review, but because I fe- I felt like a lot of my feelings were tentative. Like I don't, I, like I said, I didn't know how I felt about a lot of these things that I put down. I'm glad they I put them down because I think I think it made for a good conversation. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, you can let us know how you felt about that conversation. Feedback at midwestfilmers dot com. What are you going to say, Nick? Did they ever reveal what the last guy did? The guy that had the tire iron. Did they show what his crime no, was? No, they never show. What they he showed did. the waitress at the diner had killed a guy. Mm-hmm. And yes. the other dude was a pedophile child, child killer. killer. They never show what the hippie-ish dude is, does. Remember, he's got the long hair yeah. dude down there. They With never the show what he did, and they I'm never curious show. what the other one... I mean, they all seem to be, like, mortal sins of, like, murder. Something really, yeah, yeah. It's not like the hippie guy smoked a jibber before. Well, and it's funny that the movie chooses to, or at least God or whatever, chooses to address them as demons, because... They're just crazy people. Like Adam, or I'm sorry, Fenton was not a demon. He was just he a, wasn't possessed he was, by yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. They're not like they're not demons who climbed up from hell. Sure, who dodged spawn and got up here. Of course, frailty. That's what they have Constantine for. Frailty's version of demons might very well be. You know what I mean? Like in this, you know, in this fiction, that it's might just be interesting what a demon that he is, yeah. that he says it's a holy war against demons. I wonder if the movie had chosen to go the route of like sinners. They're people that must be punished. Because Fenton or Adam doesn't doesn't really mince words. He says, you know, I can see their sins. I can see he doesn't really call them demons. I mean, he does call them demons. He says, "We're we're by demons," but I don't know. It's interesting. There's a lot of cool like just things throughout the movie that are neat, like little plot bits. Like the rose garden is a cool setting, and mm-hmm. it's an interesting place for for them to come back. I don't know. It's just it's a cool movie. I'm wondering who who wrote it. That would be Brent Hanley. Brent Hanley. Writer of not much else. He has three writing credits. A Masters of Horror episode on day seventy three with Sarah Short. He's from Texas as well. Seen, I wonder I if he's like a, a bud of Paxton. Part of the Texas club. Yeah. The Texas handsome gentleman. Mm-hmm. Handsome steersman. This is a movie I could easily see like somebody like um. Andrew Kevin Walker writing a movie like this. And it's yeah. back during his big heyday. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it kind of fits up there with me for those movies. Andrew Kevin Walker of Seven Fame. Seven, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's a cool movie. It's cool that it's directed by an actor. It's cool that it's not... Like, I wonder what it would have been like in the hands of, like, a Fincher or something like that. It feels yeah. like a Fincher movie, but it's, I'm glad we got the version we got. Has Bill Paxton directed anything since? Do we know? Um, Maybe some episodes of Big Love. <laughs> I think yeah. he directed... I did look at it. I think there's one other movie that he's look done. At that face. We're looking at Bill Paxton's uh, face right He now. directed the, gate, the greatest game that ever... The greatest, greatest game, game ever, ever played. played with Shia LaBeouf and... Uh, Golf movie? Yeah. And directed one episode of Saturday Night Live. And Stephen Delane, isn't he in that as well? Let's take a look. Greatest game ever played. Starring James Paxton? James Paxton. <laughs> Son of Bill, I'm sure. Um, isn't, uh, yeah, uh, Stephen Delane. Is this the one with... The um, exponentially disappointing in Game of Thrones, Elias Stephen Delane. Elias is this the one with uh, Shia LaBeouf in it? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Never seen it, but I have an interest in seeing it now. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was Bill, Bill Paxton. Yeah, that's cool. All right. I think that sums it up. Correct? Yes, indeed. We ready? We ready for some some feedback? Yes. Brought to us by Victor. Oh, Victor. We're going to spend longer than a minute on you. Yeah. Yeah. We got some episode. We got some time to kill here. You're going to get like three and a half minutes, dude. <laughs> We got most... some time to kill here, McConaughey. Anybody oh, else? Oh, that? Oh. All right. Um, God, that's a good movie. So, Victor, these are some these spoilers for Thor: The Dark World. If you have not seen Thor: The Dark World, turn it off right here. Come back for the outro where I tell you all that stuff that you already know. Hopefully. So, Victor emailed us. He said, Wow, did not expect a whole minute about me at the end of the Thor review. I guess I should lay down some thoughts for you. So, this is what you can expect if you write into feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Uh, so, he's got a few bullet points here. He says, The humor was exceptionally less problematic than Iron Man 3. Sure, we get some underwear dude for no reason and an intern with an intern, but let's just be thankful that Thor didn't have a 10-year-old following him around for an hour. I disagree. Should we go bit by bit real quick? I, I think should. we'll go bit by bit. Yeah, uh, I, I disagree. I didn't think that the kid was any of the possible humor problem in Iron Man 3, if there was one. I think the kid and Downey Jr. had enough chemistry to make it work. And I but. think that Shane Black does yeah. a very good job of blending comedy and action. And I think that 
Alan Taylor was maybe a little more forced into injecting some of that. Not a lot of comedy in the episodes of Game of Thrones that he's directed, probably. Usually not a lot of... Well, who knows? Yeah. Tyrion can be funny. Any thoughts on that, Nick? Uh, I didn't love the kid. I, I kind of see where he's coming from. It was it was weird. It's a weird dynamic. The, the kid. The kid is a common complaint among those that the kid like is kind of a Iron plot Man device did. in order to force the character arc of Iron Man again. I think to kind of rediscovering his humanity and bringing the whole the mechanic thing around. But I mean, you know, which one of us did not briefly fantasize about being a kid that Iron Man gifted you like a ton of awesome a lab? Shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. For that for that part, it was kind of satisfying. But I, I think there would have been better ways to to write that than having a kid as like kind of a crutch fair enough um got your back victor so point number two the selvig is bonkers stuff was interesting since it implied he it was related to being under loki's control it would be cool to see more of that one of loki's random minions could be a plot for the shield show uh plus what about hawkeye i thought about this hawkeye question since it was posed to me earlier before we recorded yeah and you see, Selvig was privy to a lot more of what was going on with the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. Why would Hawkeye need to know everything about the Tesseract? Why would Loki let him know that stuff? So Sel- Selvig saw some saw some shit, all right? Yeah. Hawkeye didn't. That's why Selvig... Hawkeye was just a pair of hands. Pretty much. Yeah. Hawkeye was Selvig there to, is directly responsible for opening the portal. Yeah, yeah which would probably mess you up. amount of people. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and... Um, I don't know. I think uh, exploring more of that stuff might be more interesting if it wasn't just purely played for comedy. Yes, agreed. Like if it, if it was actually like Selvig dealing with the fact that he's insane and not just running naked and and you know humping Stonehenge, humping Stonehenge and and delivering a Stanley cameo, then maybe maybe it would be a little more compelling. But agreed. like if Thor to the Dark World had actually been dark, I think it would have been a better movie. It was a rather light movie. I expected I expected it to be like the heavy ass like empire like dark chapter of the. Marvel and it tries universe. to go there once or twice, and then it kind of reels it back and again. It quickly yeah. uh, reinflates. Yeah. All right. Um, point number three. Jane was the ultimate damsel in distress. She felt more like a prop than a character. She didn't even react to having an all powerful poison inside of her. I, I disagree with the reactions part. Uh, I, I I disagree with the the poison thing. It was it was going to eventually kill her, but I don't think it was like slow death kind of thing. I think it was a feeding off of her life force kind of like I don't know. I agree with her character not being all that particularly interesting, but I mean I don't think she was all that interesting in the first one either. I think they they had a fine chemistry and Jane serves her purpose. She's quite frankly she's the love interest, and sometimes somebody has to be the love interest. So yeah. I but I, I don't even necessarily agree with 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 that because it should have been Sif, and I think that would be different. It wouldn't have taken Thor to the places that he's gone now, but I think uh, I think they could have made it Sif and not had it be Jane. Like yeah. Jane, Jane serves a purpose in the sense that she's of a world that isn't his. And I think right now that's an important part of this series of films. I mm-hmm. think that if we continue to see these movies, you know, let's see Thor five, four, five, and six. I think Thor four probably transition out of yeah how do you man i gotta think of a cool way to mix those two it would just be four anyway for the dark world um i think that at some point we will see if the if the series is allowed to continue we'll see the sif angle play in more anything nick natalie portman i agree i i thought this movie should have should have wiped her out i think it she should have died thor seeing thor actually fail would have been cool because like i said he's pretty infallible at this point um, I'm thinking that semantics. I think Age of, of Ultron might deal with that a maybe. lot more. But semantics of the word poison, notwithstanding, I, I agree with what he's saying. I mean, I think it was pretty obviously presented that there's a, there's something inside of you that's too powerful for your mortal form to contain, and it will explode and kill you if it's not released. Um, I think that would have been. I think she probably should have been a little more freaked out by that notion, or at least Thor had shown some urgency. That's a good point. Because like, they're kind of hanging out on like the lakeside patio, like kissing and being like, "This is this is my this is my realm. I'm me, king of this. Touch Here is my mother. Tell you about this is my mother. Would you like to meet mother? Mother Jane. Jane mother. I'm about to blow up. Yeah, like it would have been it would have been interesting to have Odin been like get her get her out of the healing room. Wait, oh shit! Here's an innocent person who's gonna explode all over. The, she's gonna paint the wall. And he does that, but then it just. Fart in the wet gloves. I mean, I understand the character of Jane is supposed to be kind of tough resilient gal but it would have been neat to have the movie kind of acknowledge that here's a mortal in like a movie that's way a world that's way over her head a little more vulnerability from mm-hmm. her would have been, yeah. yeah so i kind of agree on that point um 
he says the low. Uh, wait, I was going to say something else. I it, I think it's also interesting to note that the female characters have played bigger parts in the finales, as of Iron Man three and Thor two. Yeah, I think they gradually. Yeah, they they. I mean, Pepper got the kill shot last time around, and then even here, Jane's uh, a big part of Jane's machine shot. is what gets him. Solving of... technically gets the kill shot, though. Well, just saying. Yeah, but. Like a bottle. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't think Victor liked Thor 2. <laughs> Victor's point number four. He says the Loki ending was dumb. We agree. Word. We have thoughts on that on last episode. Uh, point number five. I don't, I'm not, I don't know what the numbers are. He says Cap cameo was awesome. I love how this managed to get away with not actually having an Avenger appear. The Earthbound action takes place over the course of ten minutes, whereas Tony publicly revealed his address was attacked and declared dead without much of a phone call from Bruce, Widow, or even Fury. I mean, I guess they wouldn't call him, but, like, at least show up. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about... Here's the thing about that, and I, I, I totally understand the complaints from from people that are saying, like, okay, well, why wouldn't Captain America show up to help Iron Man and Iron Man 3 and all that? First of all, we don't know that they didn't show up to Iron Man's house. We don't know that they didn't... They weren't trying to track him down. We don't need to know that. We can assume that. And... Quite frankly, these comics have been going on since the 60s, and in, just because the Hulk is fighting the leader in his own book doesn't mean Thor is going to show up every time. Yeah. It's just something we have to accept. It's not possible to have every character in every movie. Otherwise, this wouldn't be called Thor. Yeah. And, I mean, and I, I know it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but I think, that's the nature of the beast. I think with um, I think with Iron Man as well, I, I don't know if the the threat was something that... like with, with, with Thor, at least it's like, oh, this could end all of everything. So even then, you'd be like, okay, well, maybe the Avengers should show up and deal with this. But mm-hmm. even at that, I don't. It's you're at, you're in a you're in a. Those are <laughs> the the nine realms may not necessarily like. There could be realms where Captain America and Iron Man are completely useless. Yeah, and, and so yeah. like so it's that I can understand that. But I I don't have any issues with the idea of these people having like why why wouldn't they call everybody? Well, I. I don't know. Is I don't have that question problem. in there. It sounds like he's just kind of commenting. No, he's 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 commenting, but it's it's commenting on the idea that like. Uh, I mean, what if all three of these movies are taking place concurrently? I think they said that Thor two is after Iron Man three. Thor I, I Thor two Thor two is something. It's two years after the first Thor, and so it's about a year after the Avengers. Yeah, and then I think Iron Man three was six months after the Avengers. Yeah, it wasn't. Too I mean, far the thing out. is, clearly Thor's doing Thor stuff while Iron Man's dealing with Iron Man stuff. Yeah, I mean, Thor's not going to leave Asgard to come down and help. I mean, were they Thor, that good Thor, of buddies? Like Thor had to seal up the Nine Realms and get it all yeah, ready and to go. Iron and Man's the not going to and... get on his horn and be like, "Hey, Cap, can you come bail me out?" Like. Iron Man's gonna do. He's too prideful to do exactly. that. In the and to be honest, place. I don't think I don't think Iron Man Iron Man three probably took place over the course of what two or three days. So yeah, and the, and the Earth action in Thor takes place in like twenty minutes. Yeah, that's that's what he said. Yeah, he said that. Yeah. So the Avengers aren't gonna scramble and get there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. They'd land. It would have been a funny after credit sequence if they had been standing in the rubble and <laughs> the fucking left. Quinjet landed. <laughs> And Iron Man and Cap and them run out and they're like, "Hey!" And Thor just laughs and shakes his head. He's like, "You losers! <laughs> you lose pathetic metal form, mortal forms." Um, and then uh, Victor Victor says that we can review him if we wish for a bonus topic, and uh, we'll give a shout out to his his podcast, The Digimon Rewatch. Go check it out if you're interested in rewatching Digimon. Thank um, you, Victor. Don't let our you know disagreements. Shy away from, yes, no, from we want us. we want your feedback. What we're saying is you're wrong, and uh, <laughs> we don't care. Stop listening. No, it's I not agree true. with you most of the time. No, yeah, I, they're, I think, they're valid criticisms. Absolutely, no, I think I think they are. They're but, valid thoughts. <laughs> yes, your your thoughts are valid. Um, I think that's about it for this this episode of the Midwest Film Nerds podcast. How do you guys feel about that? I'm in the shed a tear or two. Solid choice of retro review. Yes, I think it was good. I think it made a good episode. I think it's an interesting review. Yeah. Hopefully. I think we are interesting people. <laughs> I, think- I think we need more followers on... On our Twitter account, at MFN Podcast. Uh, we need more people to listen in the first place, so tell your friends, as I said earlier. Uh, feedback at MidwestFilmers.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Give us something to talk about, like Victor did, or... Um, let us know what you thought about something we reviewed or something you think we should review. I really want an angry feedback email. Can yeah, we haven't does? we haven't had that that review or that email that makes us quit the podcast yet. So I if you want to be the person that's responsible for this show never happening again, just 
lay that Cleveland steamer right across no, our chest. No, I want an adversary. <laughs> I want somebody that emails every week and like is like really stupid. And you I just want, want to fight. You him. want that guy who just spite listens just, just to refute us completely. Yeah, Our I want to tr- know how we got a listener in the Netherlands. Yeah, that's interesting. Awesome. Yes. I, if you're listening right now, you're awesome. For... I sent out the Dutch, the Blavel Dutch wavelength out there. I think we got somebody from Finland a little while back too. Also we got, awesome. We, I, we we are spanning continents. There's somebody that listens in Australia we as got well. Some Scandinavian that makes me very listeners. happy. Yeah, so we may be reaching one person per country, but hey. Maybe we're part of an ongoing study of Midwestern culture in America. Maybe there's a course on the us somewhere else. The heart of Great else. Lakes country. <laughs> the heart and soul. Yes, could country. be. Uh, thanks to Aunt Mr. John, my brother, uh, for our music and artwork. Um, happy birthday to him this past weekend. Happy oh. birthday. Yes. And uh, I don't know. That's it, isn't it? Isn't that everything? We love your faces. MidwestFilmers.com. Full show notes. Check out the link to that Reddit post so you can read comments. There's a... uh, If you're wondering what any of us look like, if you want to put a face to the voice, there's a sterling picture of Willie in his uh, podcast robe up on the Instagram. I'm wearing wearing a robe right now. Follow us on Instagram or check us out on Facebook to get the latest updates from the Hashtag Willie's robe. Yes. Hashtag hashtag podcast robe, I think. Alex's tears. Hashtag... Willie's Rove. Yes, we've started the Alex's Tears hashtag, so if there's something you think I would cry at or something that makes <laughs> you cry the, the way that you think I cry about Star Trek, then uh, hashtag it with Alex's Tears. If you haven't heard the, the initial Alex's Tears, it's really hysterical. Yes, go back to the Star Trek Into Darkness episode and uh, listen to me cry. Oh, I just love it. It's just not even. It. That's the thing. I think Alex's Tears, This is we're, we're way over time at this point, but Alex's Tears was not about things that I cry about in movies. But it was pure sadness about the fact that Nick had never seen Wrath of Khan. <laughs> and I had pretty much never seen Wrath and, of Khan. And the thoughts that he had just being like, oh, well, they've already done everything that you wanted out of this movie in a better movie 20 years ago. Yeah. That's what Alex's Tears really is. I also elicited Alex's Tears on the Way Way Back episode. That's true. That's true. We're going to coaxing out Alex's Tears. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Alex's so Tears. So we'll, we'll come up with a Nick hashtag eventually. Yes. Yes. Every, everybody will have their their respective hashtags. By next week, we'll have a, we'll have a Nick hashtag. Yes, Nick scarf. <laughs> Nick scarf. Podcast scarf. All right, that's about it. Uh, Kyle X Y, go watch a movie.